Well, good morning, brothers and sisters and young people. As a family, we come together to remember our absent Lord. Now, now we're looking in the adult session, we're, we're looking at the Lord Jesus Christ coming in clouds. And, and that conjures up all kinds of images in our minds, doesn't it? That, that there's a certain grandeur and, and beauty about that phrase. Majesty comes to mind. It also conveys, it also expresses that the swiftness and the, the visibility of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the way that he establishes God's kingdom. And it's going to be remarkable. It's going to be an, a, a truly earth-shattering moment when the Lord Jesus Christ does return and the kingdom of God is established, that the, the world will look upon in awe and amazement. Well, over the course of the weekend, we... we been considering, haven't we, these extraordinary meetings of the Lord Jesus Christ in clouds. And it seems a long time ago now, but we started off yesterday morning thinking about the Lord Jesus ascending into heaven and that remarkable moment when he meets his, his father in heaven for the first time. And then we, we thought a little bit, didn't we, about the Lord Jesus Christ coming back and revealing himself to his brethren in Judah and then displaying himself in all glory to the world. And as we've been looking at these meetings, these crucial meetings of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's, there's been one big meeting, hasn't there, that we've not really thought about. And that's the meeting that you and I have with the Lord Jesus. And that's what we want to look at in our exhortation this morning. So we begin our exhortation by asking you this question. Have you ever really imagined coming face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come this morning, don't we, to remember our absent Lord in the bread and in the wine. And we know that when the Lord Jesus Christ does return, he's going to be the judge of the earth. And perhaps some of us feel a little fearful of that moment. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yes, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the judge of the earth and he's going to reign supremely in Jerusalem. But brothers and sisters and young people, he also died for you and me. And in the kingdom, he's still going to bear the marks in his hands and in his side and it's going to be this eternal display of his sacrifice, his sacrificial love for you and for me. And in that image that I'm trying to paint in your mind, we, we begin our exhortation this morning by knowing that there is nothing, nothing to fear. Well, let's open up our Bibles then, and we've had that short passage read together in the first of Thessalonians in chapter 4. And what I want to do then, I want to live and breathe that moment I want us to think about meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to anticipate that time. I want us to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. So we read these words then in, in chapter 4, the first epistle. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, words that we've been looking at with Brother Johnny, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, the first question is, did you spot it? Did you spot where we are? Well, of course you did. It's there in verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain. And the idea of that expression is is the idea that we are tiny in comparison with those that sleep in Christ. We are an insignificant, we are a, a minuscule fraction of the men and women who have obeyed God's word and are awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, a, that's an awesome thing to think about, isn't it? We represent the minority in such a big way. It's almost as if, in picture form, that you can see a jar, and the jar is full, and the jar has a sticker on, and it says the kingdom of God, and it's full. Yet a full Yet, though it's full, a few more grains have been found. And somehow God can ensure that those extra grains can get sealed up in the jar. And only God can do it. To the visible eye, it's impossible. But all things are possible with God. And that's the picture that's being painted there. And and that's an incredible privilege that we have, isn't it, brothers and sisters, young people? That we are the minority, the vast majority, are now sleeping in Christ waiting for the return of the master. Well, it tells us here, doesn't it, about the timing, the timing of the return of the Lord Jesus. It says there, the living, in verse 15, shall not prevent or come before them which are asleep. If you've got another translation, you'll read those words, or come before. So in other words, then, we're being told very plainly that the dead in Christ will know first that the Lord Jesus Christ has returned. And they will know, they will become acutely aware, they will be conscious that the Lord Jesus Christ has returned through their physical, bodily resurrection. And it is the the book of Isaiah that, that paints a picture for us. Let me just share these words with you and just think about these words in the context of what Paul is writing here. He says, thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So my question is, what is the first thing that the dead in Christ will do? In in acknowledgement that the Lord Jesus Christ has returned, as they stand at the side of their graves, Isaiah tells us that they will sing. They will sing in praise, knowing that the Lord has returned. That their their bodies and their limbs will be reconstituted and strengthened, their memories restored, and they will be living and breathing creatures. And what a miracle that will be. And so many, we've looked at Daniel chapter 7, and so many men and women of ancient years, they died unnatural deaths, didn't they? They died in the arenas, they were consumed by lions, or they were burnt as lanterns. So how are they restored? It requires a creator, doesn't it? And so what we're seeing here is the power of the creator. 
And it says there in verse 16, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So there's an emphasis there. We need to really think about that. There's a, there's a wonderful blessing for those who sleep in Christ. Let's not think that they are disadvantaged in any way. We talk a lot about being alive at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is an awesome privilege to see Jesus Christ return. But it is also this, this wonderful blessing that rests with those that sleep. There's a, there's a day of reunion fast approaching. A day when husband and wives, mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, friends and family will be reunited. It will be a glorious moment. A morning that is unheralded when there is so much celebration that they have been restored. And for many of us here, if not all of us, where we find it difficult to remember faces and voices of long gone in our memories, those people will be restored. They will once again walk this earth. They will live. They will breathe. And they will sing. They will sing, brothers and sisters. And it is a breathtaking moment in history. And then we read in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now what I want to do, I just want to draw your attention to a, a, a Greek word here, and you'll, you'll find it helpful, I'm sure. I certainly found it helpful. We are going to be caught up together. Do you see that? That, that, that Greek word there, Caught up is the Greek word hapezo. And you may have in your translations there something that ex expresses the idea to seize or to catch or to, to snatch away. And so what we're being told here by Paul is that those who are living, something is going to take them away. I want you to try and imagine that, picture that. We are going to be taken. We are going to be removed. Now, uh, perhaps that, that causes us a little bit of concern. And what I want to do, I want to provide a, a helpful application that. Have a look at Acts chapter 8. And you'll know the scene well. This is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is where the word is used. And if you've not seen this before, it's just worth putting a little Bible reference in your margin so that you can remember this is a good example. And, and Acts chapter 8 then, we, we see there in verse 39, having baptised the eunuch, we read these words. And when they were come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And that phrase there, caught away, is the same way as caught up, the same Greek word as caught up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now just think about this, what's going on. There was Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they were in Jerusalem, and, and they end up, or Paul ends up, in Azotus, which is Ashdod. Azotus is the Greek of the, the word Ashdod, and it's about 30 miles away from Jerusalem. If you, you know the land, it's between uh, Joppa and, um, and Gaza. And, and we see here in these words that he's instantly taken, that the force is swift, it's irresistible and it's overpowering 
And this is the, the means of our transportation of saints being taken to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? As, as Paul was taken, he continued with his preaching. He was instantly taken and it didn't affect him in any way. Now, there's another uh, usage of this word here. It's found in John chapter 10. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about the Good Shepherd. And he's talking about himself. And perhaps this is a, a negative way in which this word is used. But I think there's a, a positive message, exhortation that comes out of it. John chapter 10 then. John 10 and verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, he leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. It might be difficult to spot that word, but it's the word catcheth there. And here it's illustrating that the strength that a wolf has over a sheep, it's overpowering, isn't it? So in other words, relating that to how we're going to be taken, we're going to be taken in such a way that the power of God is going to be overwhelming. We will not be able to challenge it. There's no power to resist. We're going. And for us young people, when we were looking at the Ten Virgins this morning, there won't be an opportunity to say, let's just wait a little bit, please. I've got things to do. When it comes, when the call comes, brothers and sisters and young people, we're on our way. We're on our way. Now, perhaps by, by looking at that example, um, it's not particularly helpful um, in the sense of, it's a, it's a negative example, isn't it, of a, of a wolf over a sheep. And we'll come to a positive example in a moment. But I just want to think for a moment about being prepared. Being prepared. And I hope uh, my mum doesn't mind me sharing this story, but it's something that's, that's kind of boring to my mind, and it's something I've never forgotten. So mum tells me that when she was growing up, she can remember her own mother, my, my nan, every single night before she went to bed. She'd put her Bible at her side. She'd get her best clothes her finest shoes, and they'd all be placed neatly at the side of her bed with the view that if the angel came that night, she was prepared. Now just think about that. It's not that we have to do that or anything like that, but the reason why that's such a powerful example to me and throughout my life is that that person made Jesus Christ a living reality in her life. Every day. And this is what Christadelphians used to do. This is what men and women of faith used to do. They made the invisible God visible in their lives. They made the unseen God Seeing in daily life. Think about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. How can I do this wickedness and sin against God? So Joseph 
made an unseen God visible in his room. And brothers and sisters are young people, faith. And Brother John has talked a little bit about faith. Faith's an interesting thing, isn't it? It it makes the unseen seen in our lives. And we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that one day he's going to be king. But the question I challenge all of us with this morning, how many of us have made Jesus king in our lives today? How many of us can honestly say that Jesus governs the reality of our life? Because there's going to come a time when the Lord Jesus Christ is enthroned in Jerusalem and the unseen becomes seen. The hidden becomes disclosed. Something that we are waiting for has happened. And surely God wants to see us as men and women of faith that make the kingdom of God a reality in our lives that governs our day-to-day decisions. That's what God wants to see. He wants us to make the unseen future an ever-seen reality today. And that's the challenge that we all have, isn't it? Now, now coming back to that word harpazo, because I, I left you there a little, didn't I? And it is a little worrying when you think about here in John chapter 10 of a of a a wolf taking a lamb. And many of us here this morning, I'm sure, will be thinking, well, well, I'm not going to be ready for the call. I'm just simply not good enough for God's kingdom. I don't think God wants me. Well, the final statement is wrong because this is why we're here this morning. But when we think about how we're going to be taken... It's difficult to even imagine how we're going to be prepared for the might and the power of Almighty God. Now, with that thought, let's just look down and look at how that word is used again in John chapter 10, in the chapter of the Good Shepherd. So there's the Good Shepherd. And he talks about the, the, the harpezo, the, the wolf catching a lamb. But he goes on to say, not for you. You are not a lamb that's going to be engulfed by a wolf. Have a look at John chapter 10 and verse 27. He says there, Jesus, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Now, now, what I want to draw your attention to is that word there, pluck. It's harpezo, and it's pluck again in harpezo. So we've got a, a repeat there. And Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, and this is not going to happen to my sheep. There is nothing to fear. He's telling us that even death won't be eternal death. There's nothing to fear with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and this idea of being taken so quickly, perhaps another way to view it, we're being snatched away from a wicked world. We want to leave this world. Let's not moan about the speed at which we're taken. We want to go. We want to leave. 
And perhaps a, a way of looking at this is the speed at which we are taken and the might of God that's expressed in that moment is a measure of how desperate Jesus is to see you and me. Don't you think that the way that these words are being used is that it's, a, it's an idea that's being conveyed that Jesus is saying nothing is going to stop him from being with us. We don't have to embark on a personal journey. We, we don't have to make any personal preparations. Jesus is taking control of the situation and he wants us with him. And he's telling us that there is nothing to fear because he loves us so much. Well, thinking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there is a sequence, isn't it? The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those that are alive will be caught up in the air to be with Christ. Have you ever wondered how you're going to be told that Jesus Christ returns? Because the dead in Christ shall rise first. Perhaps someone that you know comes and tells you and informs you. Perhaps someone who you know has died. A family member, a brother or sister in your ecclesia, Perhaps it's someone that you've seen in a grave, that you were at the funeral. You, you actually saw with your own eyes the, the coffin being lowered into the ground. And there that person is with a warm and radiant and all-embracing smile and says, Hurry! We're going to meet Jesus together. That's the message. We go together with the Lord. And how powerful that message would be. A personal message. Or, or perhaps our guardian angel suddenly reveals himself to us and takes us and escorts us to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. A, an angel that's been watching over us throughout our lives, that knows ourselves better than we do and prepares us for coming face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Either way, it's tremendously comforting, isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it, that it says there that we're going to be caught up with them in the clouds. It's slightly different to the theme that we're looking at this weekend. Remember the theme, Jesus Christ coming in clouds. But, but these words don't quite connect with that theme, do they? Because this is us in clouds. We're thinking about Jesus coming in clouds. But here... We're reading about being taken in clouds. Is this the same theme? Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 16. Jesus provides some really helpful words here to his disciples. And here Jesus then, he, he talks about his appearance when he returns to earth from heaven. And uh, they're very dramatic words, as you would expect. Picking up in verse 27, for the Son of Man, he says, so we've got this theme right away, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. That's interesting. For those of us in the adult session, that's not with the saints, is it? This is slightly different. This is with the angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his work. And then he goes on to say, verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And we would understand that final verse as preparing them for the transfiguration. And Peter, James and John would be there on a high mountain. They would see 
Jesus in all his glorious beauty. And in a way, they were seeing the Son of Man coming in clouds. Because there was a cloud upon the mount and a voice that went forth, this is my beloved Son, hear ye him. And you can see that Jesus Christ was transfigured in Matthew 17, verse 2. But coming back to verse 27, the Son of Man shall come in glory with his angels. I want just to, to think about that, that the practical reality of that. Jesus Christ is going to return to the earth with angels. And we need to be very practical about this. That there's going to come a moment in time when the final embrace between Father and Son takes place in heaven. And the final words are shared between the Father and Son. And then Jesus is on his way. It's going to be like that. Jesus is on his way. And he's going to be escorted, we read in verse 27, with a host of angels. Or haven't we seen that a little earlier? A host of angels took him up into heaven in Acts chapter 1. Perhaps it's the very same angels 2,000 years later that come with him personally to the earth. Isn't that lovely? But what do these angels do? Reward every man according to his work. So practically then what we're having here is Jesus Christ returns with a host of angels, perhaps the same angels that he ascended into heaven, and then those angels are sent around the world to gather up the saints, to take them to judgment, so that immortality can be granted. And in that gathering, it's both the living and the dead. We've just read of that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so I want you just to picture this. I, I ask you the question, is this the same theme? Jesus Christ in clouds. It is, isn't it? Because these angels, as they take the saints to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, they are taking these saints, as it were, in clouds. It's a, an angelic group of clouds that take and transport these saints, men and women like you and I, to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a lovely picture? And it will be instant. It will be like the Harpazer. You won't visibly see the clouds in the sky. They're going to be instantly taken. But figuratively, you've got a heaven full of these clouds covering the four corners of the earth, all heading to the nation of Israel. Can you visualize it? Isn't it exciting? And there's another lovely connection because remember, it was the cloud that guided Israel to the promised land where God resided. And similarly, you've got this cloud of angels taking new Israel to be with the Son of God in the land. So there's some lovely, lovely connections there. So just stand and and gaze at those clouds being transported across the heavens. And think a little bit about that. The angels taking the saints to be with the Lord Jesus Christ as God's representative. Haven't we seen that a little earlier? As I mentioned, it's the angels that took Jesus to heaven. But why did the angels take Jesus to heaven? Well, there's, there's a number of reasons. But we know concerning Jacob's letter that it was the angels that knew where God lived, where heaven was. Jesus hadn't been there. The angels needed to take the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, they were delighted and they celebrated in the fact that they could take someone for the first time in all history back to heaven. 
But that Acts 1 then becomes a, a pattern, a blueprint. Jesus was taken by angels to a place that he didn't know to be in the presence of God. And we too will be taken in a cloud of angels to a place that we don't know. We might have our suspicions where the judgment seat is going to take place, but none of us know. We too will be taken in a cloud of angels to come in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that lovely? And so then it becomes a pattern, a, a template of greater things to come. And it's quite a thought, isn't it? The living and the dead all going together. So as you look round today, we're all going together. Have you thought about that? It's not just a, a swanic weekend we're going to share together. We're going to be transported together. But, but not only us, but all the brothers and sisters today who come together and remember the absent Lord. They too are going on the journey with us. And not only them, but all the faithful Bible characters of faith. They too will be on the journey. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the prophets. The disciples, the apostles, John the Baptist. Ever thought about that? We'll all be taken together to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, 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 a, it's a powerful thought, isn't it? That when we come and we reflect upon our lives on days such as this, and in all the preparations of life, our whole life, our whole existence is preparing us for one singular meeting. You ever thought about that? Your whole life, everything, the ups and downs, the highs and the lows, they're preparing you and me for just one meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ, face to face. And just imagine coming face to face with your Lord. And you look upon him and he's distinctive right away because you see the marks in his hands and his feet. And he still carries the hole in his side. And he will carry those marks in the kingdom. That's quite a thought, isn't it? He will carry those marks in the kingdom. He will be the only immortal being that carries marks into the kingdom. As we reflect upon the bread and wine, as we stare at the table, have you ever thought, that is our memorial? And Brother John mentioned in his opening remarks that this is a, a feast for forgetfulness. What a lovely thought that is. <laughs> There'll be no forgetting who Jesus Christ is and what he did in the kingdom. As we stare at the bread and the wine, and as we glance at the Lord Jesus Christ in the kingdom, it will be a constant memorial of what he did with the marks in his hands and his feet, that he was the, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That, that's quite a thought. But imagine coming face to face with him and he says those words to us, well done thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's something we all want to hear. And then we come to his right side and perhaps our guardian angel gives us a hug and an embrace and we look to Jesus and we see his face and he shows us a radiant smile. 
That's what we're all looking forward to, isn't it? Ultimately, we will receive our heart's desire. As the words of hymn 405 say, shall we be with him in that day? We make the answer now. Can we just finally come to 1 Thessalonians 4? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it's delightful, isn't it? That in this sequence of events, these dramatic events that talk about how the the living and the dead all are taken to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it says those words there, the end of verse 17, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This, this momentary encounter that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ face to face becomes everlasting fellowship. And this is how Paul sums it up. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Ever. What, what a wonderful word that is. Ever. No longer will we be separated from the Lord Jesus Christ through, through space or time or sin. But forever, think about that, forever, in his glorious presence, fellowshipping the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. This is our hope. This is why we're here this morning. And so then, as we Think about the bread and the wine. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ who was taken up into heaven with a, with a cloud of angels, who was the Son of Man, who stood in the presence of the Almighty God, the Ancient of Days, who was given dominion and glory and kingdom. And he's going to come back and he's going to gather us and he wants to see us, and he wants to embrace us, and he wants to live with us forevermore. How are you feeling with those thoughts? Let's just finish with these thoughts then, brothers and sisters. Jesus said, some of you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds, and it was the moment of transfiguration. Peter, James, and John saw the Son of Man coming in clouds in Matthew chapter 17. And when they saw the Son of Man coming in clouds, they hit the floor. They were absolutely terrified. And then something altogether changed. No longer was Jesus this all-glorious and radiant one. He steps out of his glory and he comes over to his three disciples and he says, Arise. Fear not. And that's why I want to leave with you this morning, brothers and sisters. We will all have this meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're going to be met by the one who loves us. Who has died for us. And we remember him now in the bread and in the wine. And in that very, very special day, as we read here, so shall we forever be with the Lord.